Hello, James. Hi, Jackson. We're here today for another episode of Just Hands, joined by uh, one of our favorite guests, a co-worker of mine at the fantastic Solve for Why Poker Training Academy. We have Christian Soto. Christian, how you doing? Hello, Jackson. So, Christian, astute listeners of this podcast are probably going to realize that if you're here, something awesome is happening at Solve for Why. And to those of you who have foreseen this, the answer is yes, something awesome is happening. <laughs> but if you're an astute listener, you'll also know that we don't talk about things that aren't hands until we talk about hand. Okay. Because it's just hands. So that's, that's, I like that. So you'll have to earn, you'll have to earn the ability to plug your shit, which is also my shit, which is also good shit. I, I like that. All right, let's do it. So James, uh, I hear you have a hand that you'd like Christian and I to weigh in on, uh, and discuss with you the merits or demerits of your play. Yeah. Please. Yeah, this, yeah, this is a hand. I'm still not 100% sure if it was kind of a spew or not, but um, yeah, I think it'll be worth talking about. So um, this was played a while ago, so I might not remember all the exact details, but I'll give you it Sounds a little, like a spew already. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you a little history to start off with. The main villain, uh, this, so this is like one three spread limit, but the max bet is 300. It's my... Uh, my main game in Washington. I hop in those uh, three, five streets when the games are good. But today I was in the one, three game. And the main villain is like early 20s. Um, I think he was only at the table for like a half hour or so before, but he's playing pretty wide. I think it was like opening like more than half of his hands, like since he's been at the table. But I probably estimate it to be something like in like, 40% VPIP, if I had to guess, um, based from showdowns. And um, there was a, a hand where he went for like three streets of value with king-queen on a king-high board, which is a little bit... It's not what everyone does in those 1-3 games. You know, it's their kind of kind of nitty kind of um, people looking to show down their hands. So um, he's... And he, he C-bets, he had a pretty high C-bet frequency, you know, from the whatever few hands I saw in those half hour. So this guy raises to... Just real, real quick. Yeah, I, yeah. It's a really, a really important thing to notice that this guy goes for, not, we won't call it fin value because it's not, but just goes for value on the river with like one pair. Because there's so many people who don't do that and it makes them really, really unbalanced towards bluffs on a lot of runouts. And so, you know, a lot of people go through life thinking that people always under bluff at 1-3 and that's just wrong. And part of the reason why it's often very wrong is because they uh, are drastically reducing their value for combos on the river through not being willing to bet, you know, hands that have maybe like a difficult time facing a check raise for value. And for that reason, they end up extremely bluff heavy in a lot of circumstances. So important to note that this is not necessarily one of those players. I want to add, I want to add something that I think and histories are told. So 
generally speaking, I tell people that work with me to tell me the hand first before telling me the information. And the only reason is because it kind of skews the perception of how I might think about this hand. And I think getting in the habit of like just saying the hand and then without any information, just like straight raw so that we can get like kind of like a GTO approximation of how we should be looking at this hand. And then from there, moving into a more like exploitative approach based on the information that we, that, you know, the hero has. I think that's a good thing. Not, not that I'm saying like, you know, you shouldn't have told us or anything. I'm just saying like, you know, for people listening, I think that's a good habit to get into. I both agree and disagree with that. Okay. Why do I agree? I agree because I think people have a tendency to, you know, whether it's conscious or unconscious, to sort of bias the hand history to favor the decision they made. Right. Uh, so I'm going to tell you this in a way where it sounds more like I should have done what I did rather than less like I should have done what I did because I want to have made the right decision. And that's extremely pervasive and really hard to combat because, like I said, it's often unconscious. And so you have to be very conscious about trying to present things as accurately as possible if you're going to present that kind of information. And, and for that reason, I think there's a case for just not including that sort of information at all. Now, the problem is that I, I would sort of disagree that there is a GTO play to begin with, and there's mm-hmm. always a context. And the absence of a context, you know, maybe we can try and give a play that we think works very well in a lot of situations, which is sort of what I think practically GTO is. Um, and I think that's a really strong approach, but I think if you're still almost always attached to some sort of context. And so to me, the real pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is the degree to which you can accurately represent the situation you are in and be honest. Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I completely agree with you. It, you know, right. it's one of those things where it's like, or get like the absolute right answer. It's just like, you know, without, Without adding the context, we'll get something like, okay, this is how it should play the majority of the time, like with, you know, zero information. Then obviously, once we add the information and we assume, we assume heroes telling us the information very accurately, then we can obviously make movements from, from the center or whatever. Something I've heard you say, which I think is maybe a really good way of getting from point A to point B is... First to, first to present a GTO solution or a GTO option, which I think I would reframe that as just something that's very difficult to beat, right. a strategy that's very difficult to beat. Yeah, the, the verbiage I'm using is GTO approximation. <laughs> that's, right. I think that's a good way to do it. <laughs> then layering in the field and right. then the profile. And that I think the field is a good step because I think a lot of people – muddy the waters between the field and what's GTO. Correct. Yeah, I agree um, with you. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I agree with myself, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom line is precision is your friend. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, James, I want you to be really honest with us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, on to the hand, as they say. All right. I've. I'll, let's move on. I, I have some thoughts, but... We got to get back into the hand. It is just hands after all. So our main villain, um, the guy I was speaking about, raises to 10 
from Hijack, which is what he was using. He was raising a lot of hands, and he chose 10. I'm sorry um, to cut you off, James. What, yeah, yeah. what stack depths are we working with here? Like 330 effective or so, so a little okay. over just a, over just a hair over 100. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. The button called, and we're in the big blind with fours, and we have the four of diamonds, which may be relevant later. And I also decide to call, which I think is pretty uncontroversial. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, the flop is eight of diamonds, six of spades, five of diamonds. I guess any thought to leading here? I would never lead here with this hand. It, effectively, I think that you have a lot of hands that are better to lead. This hand is pretty tragic in terms of leading. You're kind of like blocking what, like a little bit of, well, the ben okay, so the benefits of leading is that you're unblocking, you know, all the Broadway region, which uh, folds. However, you, like, still contain a hand that is not drawing cleanly often and also just doesn't block any, like, natural continues either. So it's a pretty negative hand to lead, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, I think this type of hand in... Maybe five four would be an even better example. The type of hand that can win in a lot of ways, but none of those ways, like, lead you to a value combo that can really like get called by worse at high frequency. Those can be really good bluffs, but I think they more often make. I mean, like everything else in poker, but maybe this especially makes better bluffs in position, where you can kind of, if you're in position and you're double bailing this hand, uh, and then you like spike a four or a six on the river, you can take advantage of the fact that opponents don't lead enough and maybe maybe check back in that circumstance. I mean, it's a little nitty. Maybe you don't want to. But that option being on the table, I think, is really useful for us. When we're out of position, the fact that we're drawing to a bunch of sort of reverse implied odds hands really plays against us. Um, and using this as a bluff right away on the flop you're just playing into the sort of vulnerabilities of this hand where I think you, you need a different approach. Um, yeah. Can you repeat the board? Can you repeat the board exactly like one more time? Yeah. yeah. Um, eight of diamonds, six of spades, five of diamonds. Right. So here are going to be wrapped around like the nine. So that's really where you're going to want to start looking for bluffs. Maybe something like Jack nine suited Something like like that is like kind of nice to be leading. Uh, seven is okay, but like it's a little bit. It's kind of a valuable hand where like you don't really want to get raised off like that hand. Um, so I wouldn't always lead a seven at this depth because I think it's kind of valuable. I would just be leading a little bit more polarized because you're still relatively shallow. Um, what, so would, what about a hand like Ace Eight? I think those hands work okay. However, containing an ace is a negative event because you're blocking hands like ace, king, ace, queen, ace, jack, yeah. which fold. So, I, you know, it's it's an okay hand to lead. It, it, you know, it has some functionalities in terms of protecting its equity. But at the same time, you're, you're blocking the auto folds, which is a negative. So it's a double-edged sword. Like, should you lead it sometimes? Yes. Um, 
I just don't think it's an automatic lead. Um, I would I would be leading some other hands there, like maybe some like eight X's. I think you should be leading some eight X's. I think you should be leading some six X's just for protection reasons. For that, yeah. I think your leads mostly. So it's weird. I, I personally think you can have like two sizes of leads, um, which is a little bit complex, I think. But like you should have leads that are representative of a protection lead. Um, some good hands and then you should also have like a more polarized leading range in my opinion yeah i think it's it's really so we often talk about denying equity and maybe some of you have seen my webinar on software why about denying ev instead of denying equity and, and those correlate but i think uh asa is a good example of you know, we don't deny that much equity since a lot of folds contain an ace. And when we get ASEX hands to fold, we're denying negative EV, most likely. Since those hands turning an ace, it's an extremely negative EV event for them. And they don't have much other way to win the pot. And, and so we want to avoid leads where we deny negative EV. A hand like 9-10, Jack-9, or 8-9, 8-10, those sorts of hands, I think, they do better to, they're better as leads because eight, nine, like turning two pair, for example, uh, becomes a tough hand. It's, it's not easy to lead because you're up against a range that contains sevens and also a range that contains hands like queen, jack, jack, 10, uh, queen, 10. And those are hands that I think get to play relatively well against you. Um, and so if you can get these sorts of hands to fold on the flop, I think you're denying positive expected value. Whereas with ace a lot of these hands, I think, have much less value. Uh, Jack-10, like when you turn a nine with ace like you're, you're not going to lose a huge pot very often, um, especially when the board improves for Jack-10. And so that's a hand where we have much fewer reverse implied odds and therefore, getting those hands to fold with ace is a it's much less of a, of a priority because those hands their upside is much less, and that brings down their overall expected value. Yeah, completely agree. All right. So I decided to check. Don't you love this show? <laughs> that's but I, I think that's that's really the value of hands is because who cares about the fact that you had force here? Let's just talk about what if you had jack nine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, you have fours you checked. Like I it. checked the hijack bet $10, which I thought he would be. I, I noticed he had a pretty high C bet frequency. I don't know if he's continuing on this board as often as he would with other hands, but I thought he could have just some like offsuit Broadways that he's stabbing with some of the time because he's pretty aggressive. Um, the button called the $10. And it's uh, it's back on us. Man, I feel like I played this hand like seven years ago or something. Like, I, I remember I remember playing something like this before, like where I had fours and just like wanted to go off on people. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, this hand should be over, but like I don't know what's gonna happen. Well, I, yeah, I think probably doesn't end on the flop. Christian's getting at is that. 
folding seems very, very reasonable here to me. You're drawing to not the nuts at a position versus two players who have a lot of the nuts when you draw two said non-nuts. And you don't have much other way to win. So all right. Um, let me let me make the case for what I did. Just uh yeah, just to defend it a little bit, even though um you guys could very well be right. So in game I was thinking hijacks probably continuing a bit too frequently here. And I also thought that the button would be raising a lot of his sets. Why why do you why do you think he's continuing too frequently? Like what can you explain like what hands you're expecting to see that are not reasonable? Yeah, I I wouldn't be that surprised to see like king jack without a diamond here. Okay. Like not not all the time, but Okay, that's fair. If, I mean, yeah, if he has that hand then yeah. Okay. You know, like um there's also like it, it makes me think of like the weighted player profiles um that Jack did a video about on the Solve for Why site. So, anyway, like Maybe this player profile, like I would say, like half the time they bet this hand here, and then like half the time they're like a little bit more constructed, and maybe they'll only bet like king jack with the king of diamonds or something. Okay. Um, and I also thought the button would be raising sets here a lot. I think the one three field likes to protect a lot, so I thought he was kind of capped. And I thought if the hijack like did have an overpair that he could be like squeezed a little bit by the button and like might find a tight fold. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I raised to 50. So um, so pot was like 25 after rake. Um, hijack bet 10, button call 10. I raised to 50. And I get a call from the hijack and the button folds. All right. Now you guys okay. can uh, tell me well, how. No, no, no. I mean, it's okay. fine. I, I, I just want you to realize, like, all the things you said, right? How often, if like one little piece of that is just like wrong, yeah, this entire thing fails, right? So it's like it's like such a parlay of events that when you're right, you you're pretty you're a genius, right? Because like you got all of it right. It's like hitting a trifecta in the fucking horse. Yeah. Right? But like <laughs> might, if, yeah. if one of these things it's, it's a huge negative event for us where we're putting in like one three fifty dollars, like we're putting in a, a bunch of big blinds, uh, in a spot where we have like a pretty low EV hand. Where you just have other hands, like you just have better hands to do this with. Like even if you're check raising like eight ten or or I'm sorry top pair like not top pair but like some other hand that's like jack nine if you, even if you didn't want to lead and you wanted to check raise it it's better you know so i i think that i think that this is like a common flaw where it's like you're you're really deep in the exploitative realm and you're just like finding reasons to like go after people which is a good skill to have like it's a good skill to like want to fight trust me but you kind of need the hands to help you because 
if you're, it's just so easy to be wrong in one section. You need the first guy to be over betting, right? On a board that like, just don't, right? They just like, don't like this board. Then you need the button to call with the same hands that we need the, the guy to over bet with. Right, so we need we need King Jack to bet and King Jack to call. <laughs> I don't think he's <laughs> buttons calling King Jack, but I think like six seven. Yeah, but that's a reasonable that's hand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, six seven is a reasonable hand. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me put it like this. I mean, I agree with Chin. I also think that if you can if you can make a strong case for something that other people don't see, go for it. Okay. That being said. I think most bluffs that are successful have one of the following three qualities. One would be that they get a lot of folds right away. I think that's kind of what you're banking on, which makes me think you're going to be checking the turn a lot. And if that's the plan, I don't see it that way. doesn't sound like Christian sees it that way, but maybe you see something we don't. Now, if it's not a spot where you get folds right away, then really one of two things should probably be true. One would be that you block value now. And that means that when the board doesn't change, you block top end value and you get a lot of folds later. If you had sevens here, it's like, yeah, when the board doesn't change, it's going to be pretty hard for aces to just call you down. I mean, you're not that deep, so maybe it just calls you down anyway. But let's imagine you're a little deeper. You can really put some muscle behind this bet. Sure, sevens, like you can you can plan on getting some shit done later on in the hand if the board doesn't change against you. Another type of hand would be something that anything with a pair, anything with a pair that like doesn't want to call. So like anything like bottom pair and a gut shot, like something like that. Five, four. I don't uh, think, I just don't think a four is very good. Yeah. For a four is not that good. A four, neither blocks present value or future value. You want well, to block that, that's like, the hand that's bottom pair and a gut shot. Okay, so then something yeah. else, maybe like middle pair and like but six, it could four. Be, it could be six, six nine. I mean, you're in the big yeah. line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could have six nine unsuited. Maybe you could have five nine suited. I don't think that was crazy. Right, uh, effectively, just like a hand that contains a pair, like it's just going to be better than fours because you're blocking the two pairs in sets. Or yeah, or let's even, say you have like ace and, and diamond. It's not unreasonable. Yeah, it's not unreasonable for you to check raise an eight because an eight benefits from protection. And if it wants to turn itself into a bluff on a future street, it could do that. Like that's a decent hand because if if your assumptions are correct that you're you're facing bot and someone who has a capped range, then you could just press that with an eight and just say like, okay, my hand doesn't function well against two hands out of position and allowing them to realize the full extent of their equity. Um, so check raising here and assuming that my assumptions are right is going to be beneficial for you. Yeah, I think here's, a, here's an example of a bluff that like blocks future value. would be like ace five with the ace of diamonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very good. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I'd have that hand here. That's fine. I'm not saying you should or should not have that hand, but if you did, I think that's the type of bluff that it blocks some present value and it blocks a lot of future value on certain runouts and your actions are relatively clear. Four is just, it just doesn't have those qualities. Okay, so you check raise to 50. Um, hijack. 
called and button folded. Okay. Um, I think it wasn't like a snap call. It was like a, like he, he took a, a little bit of time with it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Turn is the 10 of diamonds and there's 135 in the pot right now. And so we have, let's see, like one, let's see, no, two, we have 240 behind. So, okay, I'll just go with, I I elected to bet 90 here. Uh, I was thinking like, if we're, um, let's see, I don't know, 10 of diamonds is like kind of a good card for like my check raising range. It would be a lot nicer to have a higher diamond here. But um, I thought he would have some folds here, maybe with some of his overpairs that he bet on the flop. Yeah. Ooh. So I bet 90. And um, yeah, let's talk about that, I guess. So the four of diamonds is like completely irrelevant, right? Like it's it's not a relevant card to this hand. Um, it it blocks ace four of diamonds and three sure. four of diamonds. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just not, like, it's, not, it's, it's pretty yeah. small, yeah. It's like a pretty irrelevant card. Um, Ten of diamonds is definitely good for your overall EV. Um, it's it hits you pretty hard. The board is eight six five two diamonds, correct? Yeah. Okay. Then ten of diamonds is really, really tough card for him. Ninety into now it was ten dollars pre, so thirty, then fifty, so one thirty. Uh, obviously minus a little bit of rake, but let's just go with one thirty. So ninety into one thirty pretty large so the the problem is like if he calls through here you're you can't bet again you know what i mean um i think you're we're gonna have about half pot back on the river yeah and i think that's kind of a negative i think Mm -hmm. this card is so high ev for you that you should you should probably not be looking to apply like a large size here because if he decides to just call one with like queens with the queen like you just mm-hmm. can never win this pot. Yeah. But it's such a high EV card for you that you probably should size down and choose to like make it a two street bluff where like maybe here you're going like then on the river you're just like being all in. Sorry, um, what size did you say? I'm uh, you probably something like 40% and then moving moving all in on the river. Going big here makes it a little bit easier for him because he just has to make one decision and you shut down. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. I think in game, I, I just, I was trying to get fold. So I was trying to go a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it's natural, right? It's like the natural feeling of like, well, if we go big here, then he just Mm -hmm. folds. But the problem is like, I don't think he folds any overpair with a diamond in it. And that's a, that's a problem for us yeah. and yeah i mean it's a natural to like let i'm not saying this would happen like that you had like your emotions or anything in it but like it's easy to just say like if i go big right now he just folds and that's good for me yeah you know? I, I think that was definitely in there yeah i mean obviously this hand is so this is the problem with having fours is that you turn extremely well and your hand still sucks mm-hmm. but i think I think you have an opportunity to win the pot now because the EV of your range just fucking shot out all the way up and doing this, like kind of like making it kind of like a two streeter is going to be a little easier for you. I 
because you're clearly up against like a pretty narrow range of hands. Like you're up against some over pairs. You might be up against some sets and decent, but like more more likely he's just like three betting the flop with sets. Um, so you're up against like a pretty large concentration of over pairs and some flushes. I'm gonna make the case for giving up. I think that's obviously reasonable. <laughs> like, I, I don't think. Look, I I wanted. I don't want to be in this hand. <laughs> well, I I think so. I think it just this is a spot in an SPR where I think it's really hard to get your opponent to overfold on either street at any point, and that's because your opponent it, they're kind of concentrated towards you know over pairs mm-hmm. or like eights, and a lot of those eights have a gut shot. Um, or flushes, which is obviously not good. Possibly sets, possibly straights. So there's not a lot of hands that I think fold the turn to a small size. Agreed. Agreed. And now that being said, there are there's a good amount of hands that might fold the river. But there's a good amount of folds that definitely won't fold the river. And also, I just am not in the business of trying to get... There's a lot of overpairs that have a diamond yeah and those start to become really attractive calls i think especially to someone who's demonstrated a lot of the behaviors this player has demonstrated maybe you can get a real kind of drooler to fold like kings with the king of diamonds on like a a brick run out but it's not easy yeah Um, i mean the the i agree giving up is a, a good option. I think the only thing that is so interesting is that the turn is so good. And if we can somehow get to the river in a way where like there's two, there's two things that can happen on the river, right? Either the board stays the same, which is going to be problematic for us, or we improve again in terms of EV. And now we definitely have a clear bluff. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The problem is that we already went down this path. Like that things were like this turn is so high EV that like giving up now seems like really I, annoying. To to be honest, I don't know that I agree that this turn is like so high EV for us. Well, okay, if we look at our check raising range, like I feel like we hit this card pretty hard. I think though we have like a density advantage on like a nine six or sorry an eight six five board where we just have like nine seven or we have two pairs straights sets at a higher frequency than our opponent does we also have full flush i know but so yeah. i'm saying on the flop like we might yeah. have an advantage and i think the turn actually is like a neutralizing card where our opponent has a lot of really strong diamonds and doesn't necessarily have like a the flop board coverage as often. Yeah, but I think all of our two pairs on the turn are still betting. Like, I think we have to lean bet because I think checking two pair on the checking two pair or better on the turn is like not great just because of how good this this card is for our overall range. I think we need to just like push our equity, like push our range onto the river. Like, if we check two pair and, like, only have a polarized range on the turn, then 
I think it makes his life pretty easy. I would, I would consider like checking. I mean, I think checking everything here is not a bad strategy. Okay. Elaborate a little bit. I think our opponent just has like pretty easy decisions facing a bet. And a lot of our range has very tough decisions facing a raise after we bet. Like you I, should, I we should make know. a lot of flushes on this card. And I don't think we want to give them, like our lower flashes don't want to give them a chance to check behind with like kings with the king of diamonds or something. We don't have that. Like there aren't that many low flushes here because the 10, the 8, and the 5 are all out. Okay. And if we have like nine, seven of diamonds, six, seven of diamonds, like we don't really mind giving a free card. That yeah, much. we also have, well, we also have like queen nine of diamonds, king nine of diamonds, jack nine of diamonds, ace nine of diamonds. Uh, right, but our some opponent, seven, eight, seven, our opponent yeah, has right. all those, and also like ace king, ace queen, king queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I our mean, they, has they, so many. Like the fact that there are no ace through jack of diamonds on the board <laughs> means right. that just has like quite a few flush combos that are kind of tough for us to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has flushes. Uh, I completely agree. I just think in terms of concentration of range, like, like the concentration of his range is not going to be flushes. Like, it's also, gonna, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think, but I think there are, there's a huge diamond concentration. Which is there is. Common. There is. But combinatorically, he's still weighted towards other things, right? I don't know if that's... I think if you look at this player's if, range... And you if we just take like nines plus, like nines plus in all combos, like he's he has way more of that than he has flushes. Agree, but a lot of those have a diamonds. Correct. I, I agree with that, right? But that I'm saying that makes betting two pair tough here. And he also has a lot of probably like ace king, ace queen with ace of diamonds. But why is why do you why do you think that's tough? Like why do you think that's the range? You're just up against a range where I don't think your bet's very productive. You, okay. you get called in position by a hand like kings with the king of diamonds. I don't think we make very much money from that bet. But we lose a lot whenever our opponent falls in the polls. And we don't, we, I don't even think we make that much money by betting. If we make, you know, we bet 45 here and get called by aces black. Great. Like that, that hand still has equity. It's not impossible for us to get bluffed, although I don't think we get bluffed by that hand very often. Certainly, there are some things we accomplish by betting pair, but I think a, a big percentage of our opponent's range actually uh, really disincentivizes us to bet those types of hands. And straights fall in the same bucket. Sets so you want to? So you want to just lean polarized moving? I want to just check, check, and protect that range by retaining flushes. Right, you retain all the, the the entire scope of your range. Yeah have our opponent, whose I think range is overall stronger than ours at this point. That's my, I think that's the case. And allow that player to go ahead and bet um, pulled and then check back a range where our two pair is maybe now more able to like navigate. Yeah, I think this is an interesting, I think this is an interesting situation because like my opinion is that I think our range is stronger than his, but I see I I see the case for his range is just pretty concentrated towards overpairs and flushes. I, I completely agree with that. 
but I don't think overpairs are that strong on this board anymore. But when they have a diamond, they become pretty strong. I just don't see how like queens with the queen of diamonds is feeling great. Like it's going to call the turn, but I don't think it wants to felt. Right, but it basically just gets to call and play very well versus us on rivers whenever we have uh, it's not a flush. Yeah, but it's losing to two pair. Like you, you see what I'm saying? Like I, I agree. It, it has, it has a fair amount of equity. Has yeah. a fair amount of equity versus two pair for sure. But like he's playing up against a range that's like pretty tough because like if we're betting two pair flushes and straights and bluffs, then he's losing to a fair amount of hands on the turn. If we're only betting a polarized region of hands that's like flushes, sorry, uh, well, and on your strategy is different, right? But let's say like a strategy that only can like flushes or bluffs, right? Which would be like a more polarized strategy then he gets to play pretty easy. Like, he just calls. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess our... I think... Your strategy is obviously better in terms of just, like, you're just going to check. That makes it harder than the polarized strategy. I think we just get... Here's sort of how I think about this spot. I think we we have better information on the river after we let our opponent split. And with those hands that are in the kind of like two pair category and that would include like sets and straights. So just non-flush value. Mm -hmm. I think we just get to play more accurately on the river because we, yeah. we get to see if the diamond's coming either way. I think this happens a lot in no limit hold'em. So like moving away from like this exact hand, like I think that there's a big, like a big set, Hole where the splits are so difficult that simply forcing your opponent to split instead is a preferred option. Right. So, for example, there's certain let's say, for example, even in position, like even uh, out of position, say you have like a board of like you open the button and the board comes down like queen. I don't know, like queen nine seven with a with a suit or something like that, or like jack ten seven with a suit or whatever. Um, and now you have like a bunch of hands that are because your range is so wide, and you have like all these hands that have the option to bet or check or or whatever. And then sometimes if you choose a strategy that simply uh, checks back and now forces your opponent to like split their entire range on the turn in terms of like check calling, check raising, betting, check folding. And you just understand your, your strategy. It makes it a lot easier. Whereas like if you're, if the onus is on you on the flop to now split your entire range and your opponent has a fairly easy decision versus a bet, that's pretty hard. It's pretty clear what hands you should continue with on the flop. But when the when the flop checkback comes in, it's pretty difficult in terms of what hands he should start betting and what hands he should start checking. And I think this happens a lot in No Limit, like where you have these like metrical ranges kind of, and now there's an onus to find the splits. Right. Does that make sense? Uh, maybe the Jack 10 7 is not a good example, but there's a lot of examples like that, especially no. with like you know, con either condensed or wide ranges. Yeah, I think you're right.
And it's sort of like, or people have to split in a way where this isn't true. So, so basically my purpose for checking two pair is like the amount I save versus the range that bets is larger than the amount I lose versus the range that checks. Because when I bet, the range that checks often calls with equity and the range that bets often raises and I lose because I'm not calling a raise. Correct. So our opponent, in order to disincentivize us from checking, in my opinion, our opponent has to do something with their betting strategy that makes that what I just said not true. And that's hard to do. So he would need to just like kind of, I think he should just like, just, I think it's fair for him to just like introduce a doubt bet on the turn for like a lot of his. Exactly. That, that would be a, that would be the kind of thing where now we can't really fold those hands and we're in tough spots on the river and our opponent's bluff catcher range gets to play well against us because they're losing small when if they had checked back and we got like a really good card on the river, our two pair of wins big. And so, yeah, your opponent really has to do that kind of thing. And I just don't think that this player is likely to do that. What do you think about a turn a turn block bet for us? I mean, I think it's uh I think it's reasonable, but I think a check is maybe just a little better. Uh, there's not much okay, so there's not much different between blocking range and checking range. Right. We block when our range is much stronger, but it's less pulled. Well, there's there's a little bit of incentive for block because it puts aces black in a Yeah. Where just like all, all of his overpair is black in a weird spot. Whereas like if we check, they get to realize equity. So I I think this is I think against a very good opponent who might just like fold aces black to a down bet. Mm-hmm. We get to a point where yeah, I, I can get behind block. But I just, with fours in this spot... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Like, I mean, I yeah. agree. With fours is not good. Well, that's the problem <laughs> with fours. It's like, you're you're up against a range that just plays fucking well against you, man. Like, there's, yeah. there's nothing you can do about it. It's my basic feeling in this spot. Yeah, agreed. I agree. Because, yeah, um, like, you might be able to get a lot of these hands to fold, or like ace-8 or something. Or like nine eight eight like yeah if we could just bet like twenty five percent pot and get those hands to fold it's like all right now we might might be in a spot where like we can make this work out for us but I think uh, I just don't think you those hands fold because it's fucking aces and aces is full yeah <laughs> and, yeah like, fours fours yeah there, there's a lot of this is this is actually okay this is actually what it comes down to it's just like. We catch a pretty good card for our overall range. We should be hitting this card fairly, and but we don't because we have fours, and that's a problem. So now we have to like overreach uh, four bluffs in a spot where we really shouldn't have to because we should have a lot of available uh, hands to to like move forward in this range in this hand. Even if, regardless of which strategy you pick, like if you pick the strategy, like that's fine. Or you should just have, if you want to have a betting strategy, that's fine as well. As long as like you're splitting correctly and you just have the right candidates. But like when we don't have the right candidates, 
we end up with this like weird like hope and pray that, that we got there so yeah i mean just don't check race fours i guess you know <laughs> um i do want to talk a little bit about like this uh this spread limit thing because i feel as if the hand I'm, isn't over by the way oh okay, so wait, oh, okay. okay. we bet 90 into yeah i lost track of the into like 130 135 yeah. Okay. yeah and he um hijack called didn't take too long so um i was expecting a lot of those like over pairs with the diamond type holdings um like that we spoke about so like yeah. live like live tells um no um well i guess a little bit just because it was he didn't take very long like i think with a flush he would have thought about it longer is that fair why cuz he would have thought more about raising why cuz he made a flush <laughs> Yeah, but he has a pure lock. Yeah, with the nuts, especially. Yeah, I, I think you're yeah, both. Yeah. I think you're both right. I, I, I would say that like a quick call skews you slightly in the bluff catcher direction. Uh, yeah, and I'm not saying he can. He can never have a flush here. To be fair. Yeah, yeah. No, I. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Like most of the time, like maybe the 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 quick call is like please slow down kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I'm. I, I get scared of those things because I. I'm with you. If you're in the seat and you and and he does something, you're much more likely to know that where yeah. he's falling, you know. Yeah. I that being said, I would have like part of why I didn't like bet is because I felt like your opponent had easy decisions. And that means that it should be predictable that they wouldn't need to take too long to act because like the way that they should construct facing this bet is kind of clear. Agreed. Yeah. I think like all flushes should call and pairs with a diamond probably call. Yeah. And then but like they're no brainers either way. Yeah. All right. Maybe maybe it was a small live read that like he Yeah, you know, I, I'm with yeah. you. I yeah. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I, I, <laughs> okay. I agree. He probably does have an overpair with a diamond because people <laughs> don't have the discipline to like call with the queen jack of diamonds. Yeah. I agree. So the rivers, the Ace of Spades, and I know it like it shouldn't matter too much, but I think this does make those over pairs calling like a little bit less appealing. I'm not yeah. saying like he yeah, couldn't find a call with his just do it, queens man. with the Queen of Diamonds. <laughs> we've already we've <laughs> called this far. Yeah, <laughs> we've gone this far, man. Just you know, what are you so, gonna do now? If he has kings, you know, maybe yeah, he folds. This is like, yeah, I mean, this is a good card because also yeah. like one of the hands that we're not getting ace with the ace of diamonds to fold. So yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, this like, is combos is nice. By this point, I feel this is a better bluff than like sevens or six seven or eight seven. Like, yeah, for sure. So like, there can be something to be said for like occasionally mixing in some of our like not best bluff hands because when a lot of the draws get in like we want to have some bluffs as well but anyway um i went all in for 150 ish just a hair under half pot and he starts going into the tank <laughs> sorry just he, uh, you're under half pot yeah <laughs> Just under half off. He starts going to the tank, starts talking to himself. He's like, uh, I don't see how you could ever have 
worst hand here, talking, deliberating a little bit. And then he, uh, he tips his cards, like turns them over and tosses them into the muck. He had a uh, sixes without a diamond. So he had a set a set. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so results oriented wise, it worked out, but <laughs> <laughs> so you were wrong he wasn't overseas betting and, well uh, he might have been yeah. he still might and, have been and he's not as bad as we think because he did it three bet the full yeah. Um, yeah I mean yeah I mean it worked yeah it we liked the worked. river play at least I'm glad happy well, about that this is but. kind of this is kind of what I'm saying <laughs> kind of what I'm saying is like having half pot there is very dangerous like I'm getting more for the fact that I have like a small bet size on the turn. Um, yeah. Maybe in the region of like 25 to 40%. And that way we actually have a real bet on the river when the good cards do fall. Like, so yeah, I mean, obviously your, your play is a little kamikaze and, but you went for it. You have all the heart, you know, and that's good, man. Like, there's good things to be said about your line in terms of like you're aggressive and like you're battling. So I I don't hate I don't I don't hate that character for sure. Yeah. I was I think like I guess on the end like with the check raising range on the flop that you guys are proposing I'm trying to like figure out I guess Jack didn't want to bet big on the turn, but I'm trying yeah, to figure out bet, like I don't want to bet big on the turn either. Yeah. I'm trying Jack to figure doesn't out like want to bet on the turn. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I'm trying to figure out like what are what are the hands that become bluffs here? I guess something like six, seven, eight, nine, something like yeah, that. Yeah, anything that unblocks his overpair region is gonna be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean on the on the river, it's kind of tough to have like so many, like so many bluffs. Mm-hmm. Like a hand like Jack Ten with Jack of Diamonds, uh, yeah, Ten with the Queen of Diamonds are our hands I would consider. Like I would, I would have thought that like Ace Ten with the Ace of Diamonds would be like a good turn turn bluff, uh, or or like turn barrel to set yeah. up like our river bluffs. But now right, which now turns into yeah, a pair, so. right? So yeah, it's a uh, no. I do think uh, when you get to this point, I like the river bet with force. I like it. Yeah, you have to do it. But <laughs> you just you just, just can't lose to like queens. Like it's, <laughs> it's okay to under the reason some runouts are under bluffed is because it's not worth finding bluffs for those runouts. Um, yeah. it's not imperative that you have hands in your strategy that land on the river here and suck. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, that's true. Just because your your his range is pretty funnel. Like he should have some really good hands now. Like see the game changer there, but I think you could have got there cheaper. If you wanted to push towards like the river and getting a good card, we could have like t- either turn blocked or like turn forty percent, 
And then now we see the ace and we move all in where like now he's in, there's big pressure because not all the, he's not going to fold sixes all the time. You know what I mean? Like for half, under half pot, like it's just, he's just going to call you and that sucks. Um, but if he's facing like closer to pot, maybe he folds, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. One thing I do want to say about these, um, like spread limit games, like especially when you get deeper. So like a lot of the people I'm coaching are playing like five ten. The spread limit five ten, is that you really have to understand that you get one polarizing bet per like per hand per hand, right? So obviously a one three is a little different because like once you put the polarizing bet, you're all in, right? Yeah. Um, usually, but but let's say you get deeper, you double times and now all of a sudden you're like you know 750 deep or 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 900 deep or whatever right because a lot of these 510 games people are playing like 3k deep in the max bets 500 right so you only get one polarizing bet and you need to understand when you should use it right so want to delay polarization towards a point where like you can actually deny because if you use it too early now all of a sudden your opponent's getting like a really good price to like suck out on you for all future streets. See what I'm saying? So you really have to start planning hands in such a way where you use one polarizing bet and then you're able to like shut out equity with that bet. I think, I think it's a really good point for spread limit. And I think it's a, something that also just applies generally to 100 big blind cap 1-3 live games. Mm-hmm. because the most polarized street is the river. Yes. That's when hands diverge to zero or a hundred equity for the most part. Yeah. And in, in one three where people are choosing large preflop open sizings, which makes sense, mm-hmm. you can, it's really easy to like put yourself in this kind of spot where like you have half pot in the river. Yeah. And, from like a sort of theory standpoint, that's not often going to be what you want to do. You're going to want to like preserve that bullet for the river. Now, I mean, I think the Berkey approach is just like getting on the turn a lot, which I think also makes sense. It's just that you're not as pulled on the turn right. because it's hard to come. And so you're just sort of navigating that trade-off. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of other instances, like at this SPR, you should size flop check raise to be all in on the turn. Right, for sure. I agree. I think that's fair. Cool. Cool. James Um, is fighting. He's fighting out there. (laughs) Going for it. Sometimes... Well, never mind. Uh, (laughs) There's always a sometimes. Yeah. James, I appreciate you bringing this hand. You're a good sport. We were were not easy on you. No, it's... No. It's good. It's the tough love from just hands. If Christian's soft, he wants to make you feel good. I don't care <laughs> about anybody. I, I like that I when people bring me these hands, I like it. Because like I used to do this all I used to do this, man. And it's like it feels so good when you see sixes hit the muck that it's kind of addicting. It's like, you know, it's sixes, I'm the fucking best, man. Yeah. Like, it you does know? feel good in the moment, but yeah. I, you know, that's the reason I brought it was to like, I wasn't, 
I wasn't sure about like, yeah, like. Well, the thing is, you're gonna get you're, you you're, go you're gonna get you're gonna get snapped off by a flush a couple times, and you're gonna start. You're yeah. gonna stop. You're gonna stop doing that. <laughs> Most, you know, results oriented thinking correlates with losing pots because results oriented thinkers don't win at poker. But we have to protect against results oriented thinking in instances when we lose as well, or where we win as well. I think right. That's okay. Yeah. Thank you. That's what I meant. Absolutely. Sweet. All right. Well, you might have thought that we were here to discuss that hand, but you'd be wrong. <laughs> the real reason we're here is to tell you about something awesome that's happening over at Software Y, um, and there's an opportunity for you in the next couple of days to be a part of it. And I'm going to turn the floor over to Software Y co-owner Christian Soto to tell you more about it. Yeah, Berkey and I decided to give, you know, give away the farm and give a bunch of things out for free. So get a free month of SoftwareY subscription, uh, which is valued at $125 a month. So you get a free $125 value. And all you have to do is sign up, use the code S4YGIFT, and that is our gift to you. Also, just Hans's gift to you. and Or you could get like a huge discount for a one-year membership, which is now $9.99. So that is for using the code training season. So if you like training, you like lifting weights, you like the moving training day, any of those things, you use the code training season, one-year membership. I don't know. I have to. I might have to go back and re-talk about this. This is way too cheap. Like, uh, you, you like it like when under they give stuff away. It's like right? under. It's under a hundred dollars a month. It's twelve months, nine ninety nine. That's cheaper than run it once. That's cheaper than everything. It's a good I, deal. I don't like that. Um, right, they, they better sign up before I change my mind. That's all I'm saying. Cheaper if you uh, use the Just Hands code, which I'm going to. Uh, negotiate for oh my god I'm gonna and if that exists it'll be in the show notes by the time you're hearing this everyone knows that just hands 2019 is the code to get a, a software subscription today uh, but as we change things that might change 2020 anyway, just hands 2020. Just hands 2020 yeah uh, i mean I, if you well, uh yeah sign up if i'm mean, excited about yeah. it i i feel as if uh you know, I think I think we have some of the best stuff out there. Period, and I want people to at least have the chance to look at it and then decide for themselves. So, like, I'm I'm definitely willing to like back my product and then just say like, look, just give it a look. If you don't like it, go look at some range charts somewhere else. But <laughs> if you if you like it and you think there's value, like, here's your opportunities for it not to be like super expensive. You know? Yeah. Um, go ahead, James. I can I can I'd like to say like. I've uh, I got a I won a few months of the solve for why they they gave some more stuff away at the cash academy and um, yeah there's um, there's a lot of really valuable stuff I think Chin in particular is like a good poker communicator he I think he has the hand classes and the um, the terms of service series um, they both like they put stuff in a way where it's not just like, like they go through the, the numbers and stuff, but they also like break it down in a way that 
I'm for the people, easy man. To understand, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. I'm for the he, people. If you want to talk elitist <laughs> vocabulary, then you go talk to Berkey and Jack. You know, yeah. I'm here Berkey for the people. Elitist. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I, I'm here for the people. I'm here to get them to be like, look, this is how you win pots. Okay, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I'll teach you all the game theory shit, but at the end of the day, we're here to make some money. You know. If you heard this, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know, you understand like the quality and the sort of type of strategy discussion that's had in, you know, software Y land. But what I'll say also is that I think where software Y sort of exceeds expectations from just a general poker training standpoint is in the quality, the production value of our content. I think not only absolutely, is yeah, oh uh, yeah. The Poker Out Loud series is great as well, like hearing uh, everyone break down their hands in depth um, as they're playing them. Like, that's that's amazing. So I don't prefer- think that's so sick. Like, the poker, like, being around Poker Out Loud now is like, I take it for granted. But it's like, I'm like, when I look at it, I'm like, this is sick, man. Like, you're hearing everyone just like in real time, real thoughts. Like, that's... That's really strong. So if you like learning in HD, you're going to love Software TV. Christian, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it's been a pleasure working with you the past almost two years. Yeah, man, it's been a while. I know. And I'm excited to see the future of Software TV. It's been a great year one, and I think it's going to be an even better year two. And I hope that you guys are listening to this uh, who are not already signed up will consider taking on that or taking that really, you know, generous free trial and considering sticking with it because I think it's really worthwhile. And we put out, do, I'll, it, yeah. do it before I'll, I change my mind. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll put up, if we do have a promo code for just hands, I'll put it in the description so you can check that out. Yeah. Sweet. And that's a bright, I think, I don't know if we mentioned it. It's a black Friday sale. So yeah. Well, yeah, it's an we'll end of year sale. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Great. All, All right. right. You heard it here. Uh, poker strategy. More poker strategy. New day. All right. All right. Bye-bye.